presence of each one this afternoon. And those that are outside in their vehicles, those that are trying to stay awake because we missed our Sunday afternoon nap. This afternoon, I want to ask a very simple question. I don't expect anybody to answer it, mainly because it could possibly be dangerous if you do. But how many people has ever been ashamed of a family member, spouse, or a husband, or a wife, even a kid, whether it be at a buffet line or kicking and screaming at Walmart at 27 years old because you want a box of cereal with the marshmallows in it? (coughs) At some point in time, we've all been ashamed of somebody. We've all been ashamed of of each other at some point in time. We've probably all been ashamed of ourselves. But tonight, I want to talk about not being ashamed of the God that we serve because subconsciously, without even knowing it, a lot of times we are showing the world that we are ashamed of God. And that is something that we should never find ourselves doing. Romans in chapter 10, verse 11. Romans in chapter 10, verse 11. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this afternoon. Like God, we thank you for what you've done for us through your Son. God, we thank you for Jesus, that in him we have eternal life, hoping for second resurrection. God, we thank you for the Almighty that you are, the omnipotent God taking care of us through each and everything. God, I pray that you would help us that we could continue to depend upon you in our daily life. God, forgive us for we fail you. Thank you most of all for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. The Bible says here, Whosoever believeth on him, on Jesus, shall not be ashamed. Whenever we got married, my wife got me this tie. And I hadn't worn it very often, but it says at the bottom of it, she got it in embroidered or monogrammed or whatever. It says, Our forever starts today. And it has the date that we got married on it. That speaker's been doing that for a long time. Okay. I'm working right here. They said they said they could hear it just a second ago. Honk your horn if you can hear me outside. I got the same one about five minutes ago. At some point in time, we've all been ashamed of someone else, but at the same time, something special happens, especially whenever you get married. Or they tell me that it's special whenever your kid is born. I hope to find that out in the next couple of weeks. But whenever relationships are formed, whenever bonds are formed, whenever you meet that special someone, whenever you find a friend that you can relate to and you just hit it off instantly, then all of a sudden there's there's a bond there. There's a relationship there that essentially starts forever. And it's from this day forward. A lot of wedding vows is from now on. Uh, forever starts today for us. And that's what my wife had monogrammed on the tie that I wore for our wedding. And whenever we got saved, our forever started with God. Before that, we were forever separated from God. But through salvation, through accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, we became part of that forever with God. Not separated from God, not put away from God, but with God all time. So whenever we talk about being ashamed, and and we have to remember that, that we have a relationship not only with each other, not only with the church, not only with our spouse or our kids or our friends, we have a relationship with God that we have to make sure that we tell everybody that we're not ashamed of it. Because as much as it may uh, embarrass me, and, and I don't get embarrassed easy, I'll be honest with you, but uh, whenever my wife has a little bit of barbecue sauce on her, her lip after eating Brother Steve's ribs or on her eye or her hair, it can get everywhere when his ribs are spectacular. Then I'm a little bit embarrassed over, but I love her just the same. 
But I'm not going to tell somebody that <laughs> she's not mine. Like the people in the Walmart do whenever the kids are kicking and screaming on aisle six wanting Fruit Loops. <laughs> and you grab them and say, whose kid is this? It's not mine. At some point in time, we've all heard Jeff Foxworthy tell that story. But if we ever do that to God, the Bible says that whoever will deny Him before the world said His Father will deny us. Our Father will deny us if we deny Him. At no point in time in this life should we find ourselves being ashamed of God. In verse 1 of Romans in chapter 10, Paul says here that a brother in my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That they might be saved. And that is the whole purpose of Paul's uh, journey or even letter here to Rome. The whole purpose of Paul reaching out. Trying to, to reach them with Christ. Eventually trying to disciple the men that were saved in the church. Paul said the, the ultimate goal is that Israel might be saved. And whenever we begin talking about our, our ultimate goal today is should be to reach a lost and dying world. It should be to reach out and to, to be able to touch someone, to reach out and be able to, to influence someone, to be able to show them that, that there's something that matters beyond the government of 2021, that there's something that matters beyond a dollar, that there's something that matters beyond wearing a mask everywhere, that outside of COVID-19, there are things that's important in this life and, and even in this world, and those things revolve around God and the church. Paul's it's the first thing he says here in chapter 10 is that his prayer to God is that Israel might be saved. Verse 2, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They had a desire to serve God, but they didn't know how. They had a, a desire to follow God. They had a desire, a desire to be discipled here, but they did not know how. In Mark in chapter 14, we read of a man named Peter that whenever Jesus was in the garden and the men came to take him, that whenever they laid hands on Jesus, Peter whooped out a sword cut ear off of a man. And I don't know if he was aiming for the ear. I think that's an odd place to try to strike somebody. But I believe that it was all in Jesus' plan because he picked it up and stuck it back on. Peter had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. All his walk with Christ... Jesus told him, he said, Peter, I'm going to be crucified. He said, Peter, I'm going to be taken. It's coming. They knew what the Old Testament said in Isaiah about Jesus being led as a lamb before the slaughter. Peter knew that it was coming, but it never crossed his mind. Peter had a zeal. He had a desire to worship and to serve Jesus but it was not according to knowledge. Here today, whenever we have a zeal, that is to worship or to serve God, but we have no knowledge to do that. Has anybody ever seen somebody that worked so hard? And I mean, they had a mind to work, but they didn't know how to, and they did more damage than good. That happens a lot. I teach high school kids. It happens more often with them. They, they really want to work. They're great at working. But whenever they don't know how to do something, it ends up just being a big mess. Ends up taking half the time that it should have took to build it to fix it where we can get started again. Whenever it comes to God's work, there's, there's no such thing as, as having zeal without knowledge. There shouldn't be any, any doubt in our mind that we should have zeal. 
But whenever it comes to having that knowledge, that's where things get sticky. That's where things get hairy. Where does that knowledge come from? Two places. One is not me and one is not your daddy. One is not the church house. Knowledge comes with or should come with the zeal we have for God comes from the Holy Spirit and from the Word of God. It don't come from Facebook. It don't come from YouTube. It don't come from the TV. It don't come from a preacher. It don't come from a deacon. It don't come from a Sunday school teacher. It comes from the Holy Spirit using. Even it could be individual people. And don't get me wrong, a lot of people have blessed my life with the words that they have said. But those words came from God, not from those people. Whenever we begin to take credit for God's work, uh, we talked a little bit about that this morning. Jesus humbled himself. We have to as well. In verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Going about to, here we go, establish their own righteousness. Have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. They have no knowledge of God. And so with all the zeal, with all the want to, they begin to create their own righteousness. We know this is, and I'm going to use these words very carefully so I don't offend anybody that's not my goal. Men create their own righteousness in the form of tradition. In the form of the way things have always been. In the form of, well, I, I think this. Without being led by the Holy Spirit, what I think don't matter. Without being led of God, without finding it in His Word, what I think does not matter. Whenever we, whenever we get to thinking, we get in trouble. Whenever we begin to, to create our own righteousness. Whenever we begin to create our own rules, whenever we begin to build our own traditions that are not centered around the Word of God, then we get in trouble. Then we get to the point that we have a zeal and, and we want to so bad and we're doing work. But we're not all the times doing good work. Sometimes we're beating air. Sometimes we're doing more harm than good. Here Paul said that, that, they, that they were ignorant of God's righteousness. They were ignorant of what God wanted them to do. That they would not allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to them. When the Holy Spirit did, no doubt, they probably didn't listen. They wouldn't allow God's righteousness. They wouldn't allow themselves to become knowledgeable of the things of God. And it ultimately ended up hurting them. It said, but they went about to, uh, to establish their own righteousness. And have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone that believeth. Here, this church at Rome, they, they grew up and no doubt they were, that's uh, word I'm looking for. They were established in the law. All their life, they were inundated with the law of Moses. They were inundated with the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. That's all they ever knew. When Paul came and preached Jesus, something different they saw it they loved it they believed it and they got saved but they had no knowledge beyond that beyond the knowledge of jesus christ and paul here is trying to teach them he said don't go making up things and filling in the blanks with words that you grab out of the air it don't work that way he said it's not about our righteousness for christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth for moses verse 5 describeth the righteousness which is of the law that the man which doth live, which doeth those things, shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise: Say not in thine heart, who can? Uh, excuse me, who shall ascend into heaven? 
that is, to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up again from the dead? But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. How many plans of salvation are there today? There's one. Right. But whenever we talk about how many plans of salvation there are throughout the secular world, you can't add that many zeros to a number. You can't do it. You start talking to people and everybody has a different answer. They don't line up with the Bible. They have been, they have been overtaken by man's ideas. They have been over... I, I use the word oversimplified, but there's nothing simpler than salvation. But they have been watered down and to the point that it's not praying to Jesus anymore. It's repeat after me and it's took care of. Don't matter what you believe in your heart. It's say the words. It's here, allow this, this man to bless you. It's give this man this much money. Give all you got to the church and you're saved. Say this. Here, here's a prayer. Go say it and you're good to go. Just be baptized. That's all you have to do. Sprinkled as a baby is as far as you need to go. You're good after that. None of these line up with the Bible. Not near one of them. Never will. Never have. But at some point in time, someone <laughs> had a zeal, but not of, uh, of knowledge. Someone had to want to, but they, were, they weren't led of God. Here the people were trying to insert things from the law. They were trying to bring in things from the Old Testament. The law is a very good way to pattern our life, to understand right and wrong a little bit better. But we are not under the law. We are not to follow the law word for word. We are under faith. We have a Holy Spirit living within us to tell us right from wrong, to show us right from wrong, to lead us in the way that God would have us to go. Verse 3 says that, that they didn't submit themselves unto the righteousness of God. If we do, then the Holy Spirit will lead us in the way that we need to go. But if we don't, it said that, that they say, who shall descend into the deep and bring Christ back from the dead? Who shall ascend into the sky and bring Christ down from above? They start, they start wondering, thinking. The Bible don't say to think. The Bible says here in verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It don't get simpler than that. It don't. The word baptized is not in that verse. The word sprinkled is not in that verse. The words repeat after me are not in that verse. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That is the knowledge of righteousness. That is the knowledge that we should have zeal toward whenever we talk about living for God. That is the knowledge. That is what the world is missing. It's not send somebody money. It's not allow this person to bless you. It's not live a good life. It's not try to be better than everybody else. It's not try to beat someone else. It's not attend church every day. Verse 10, For with the heart a man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And we get back to the second part. Prior, uh, excuse me, after salvation. A lot of times it's referred to being on fire for God. Anybody remember whenever you got saved? How many people did you invite to church next week? Several of them. I went to school, I invited everybody. People I didn't know. My teachers, my principal. Five, ten years later, how many people did we invite to church yesterday? How many people did we ask about Jesus yesterday? That fire tends to, to flicker a little bit. It shouldn't, but it does. Because, because we're ashamed and we don't know it. Because we're ashamed to be called a Christian. Because we're ashamed to be counted with those. Because the world views us as different. Because the world views us as wrong. Because the world views us as ultimately hypocrites. That's what the world views a Christian as. But we're not of this world. That's the thing. And whenever the world starts talking about us, there's a man said one time, he said, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Whenever it comes to God, people can say what they want, God is going to be God. People can do as they want, God is going to be God. People can twist and turn the Bible in every direction they want, but God's living word will never change. People can twist and turn and add to and take away from from his word, from the plan of salvation. Revelation says it. Be added to them. The plagues that are in this book should be taken away their name out of the Lamb's book of life. It's not our time to tell God what is, what ain't. It's our time again, as it said in verse 3, to submit ourselves unto God. And if we do that, we won't be ashamed. We won't be ashamed to be seen in public praying. We won't be ashamed to carry around our Bible. We won't be ashamed to leave a Bible laying on the dash of our truck. We won't be ashamed to ask someone if they were saved. We won't be ashamed to invite somebody to church. We won't be ashamed to put a picture with a verse on our desk. We won't be ashamed for people to know that we're Christians. That we believe in God. That we go to harmony to church. In Acts in chapter 26. Let's flip over there and read it. Book of Acts in chapter 26. Paul's account here. Paul's account here of what he was like. He was talking to Agrippa. What he was like before he was saved. And we all know that Paul was a a terrible and awful man that no doubt many Christians hated to see him coming. And before he was saved, Paul says here in verse 10, "Which, uh, which thing I did in Jerusalem and many of the saints that I shut up in prison having received authority from the chief priests And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Before he was saved, Paul had a zeal. It was just going in the wrong direction. But whenever Paul was saved, whenever Paul was converted, whenever Paul reached this point that we read about, here in, in chapter 10, for with the heart man confess, confess, believeth unto righteousness, and the mouth confession is made. Whenever Paul confessed, whenever Paul believed, whenever he was changed, whenever he was saved, what happened to Paul's zeal? His zeal didn't go away. He was still excited. He was still gung-ho. It was just in a different direction. Paul turned around 100, yeah, 180 degrees. That's when he went from facing this direction. 
and going gung-ho to kill everybody that he knew professed and believed in God to going this way to telling everybody, hey, believe in Jesus. Paul turned 180 degrees around, but his zeal did not slow down. If anything, he became more zealous toward God, toward the things of God, toward believing and preaching. Paul could have been set free here if he hadn't appealed even unto the Caesar. Paul went everywhere. If you look at the map, most people in the back of your Bible, you have maps showing Paul's missionary journeys. You talk about travel. They didn't have cars back then. It wasn't easy. There wasn't a McDonald's every 10 miles down the interstate. But Paul traveled anyway. Paul was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was talked about. No doubt he suffered a great deal in his life. He was given a thorn in the flesh after he'd been called up into the heavens. And yet Paul's zeal didn't waver. Paul stood before Agrippa. Stood before Festus. He told them. He said, I'm not ashamed of the word of God. And neither should we be. But our zeal should continue. Our, our zeal shouldn't slow down. But our zeal should only increase as we grow in faith, as we grow in knowledge. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians in chapter 3. Book of Philippians in chapter 3. A lot of times, whenever we start talking about zeal, we start talking about bringing our own opinion into things. <laughs> Philippians in chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, And be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but which is through faith, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Over and over again in, in Philippians and in Romans, we see the word faith being used because our, our trust and belief our salvation is no longer dependent upon the law. Our worship in God is no longer dependent upon sacrifices. It's dependent 100% on faith. And whenever we get our own righteousness out of the way, whenever we get our own thoughts and opinions out of the way, then we can truly see God. We can truly serve God. We can truly submit to God. But until then, until we get the, the me and the I out of the equation, then we're always going to be hung up on what our own righteousness is. We're, we're never going to be able to live a full life for God. We're never going to be able to, to be 100% zealous for God because of, the, of me holding me back, because of I holding me back, because of my own righteousness, because of my own thoughts. Because Brother Robbie mentioned in Sunday school this morning, it was purely hypothetical. But he said, well, the Bible says not to offend anybody. But if one person is offended by me wearing short pants, he said, am I supposed to wear long pants all the time? <coughs> The Bible says don't offend anybody, but the Bible also says that, that we can't insert our own righteousness into, into God's Word. For being ignorant of God's righteousness. In verse 3 of Romans 10, going about to establish their own righteousness. People have translated the Bible so many different times, it's a wonder they still know which one is the original. I believe in the King James completely and totally wholeheartedly as inspired words of God. And every time they, they translate it, they lose a little bit. They lose a little bit more, lose a little bit more to the point that they don't even know what it's saying anymore because they have taken away God's righteousness and they have inserted their own. Whenever people form opinions about what, may, what men and women are supposed to wear that is outside of the Word of God, then, then they're forming their own opinion. Whenever people begin to form opinions about who can be saved, that's outside of the Word of God. 
And that is strictly based on their own opinion, their own righteousness. And you can't insert our own righteousness into the Word of God. It don't work that way. Whenever we do, we are saying that we are ashamed of the Word of God. We're saying that the Word of God isn't perfect. We're saying that the Word of God isn't enough. We're saying that I'm better. We're saying that I'm smarter. We're saying that, that God don't know what He's talking about. We're saying I'm ashamed of Him. I know it's a lot, and if you see God the way you truly should, you can understand that whenever we call God a dummy, it don't go very far. But whenever we start inserting our own righteousness into the things of God, then that's what we're doing. We're putting ourselves above Him. We're allowing ourselves to become more important than Him. We're saying we're smarter than He is. I always said, whenever I was doing speaking in high school and even teaching it, I tell my kids, I said, you have to do, you have to do one thing in particular whenever you're given the, the type of speeches that we did. We were given a topic and in, in 10 minutes we had to stand up and give a speech on it. And I tell my kids, I said, regardless of what you do, regardless of what your topic is, how much you know about it, you have to go in that room believing one thing and one thing only. I said, you've got to go in that room believing you're the smartest person in the room all the time. Because if you don't, they're going to eat your lunch. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. But you have to believe that you are. You have to walk in the room believing that you are smarter than they are. That you are more intelligent than they are. Otherwise, your lack of self-confidence is going to show. But the thing is, we can walk into any room on the planet. And we could be the smartest person in the room. Still not going to be smarter than God. We can be the smartest person according to an IQ test. We can have a 30 on the ACT or 36 or whatever that goes up to. We're still not going to be the smartest person. We can win Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader three seasons in a row. We can follow that up with winning Jeopardy. And we're still not going to be smarter than God. We can memorize dictionaries and thesauruses and encyclopedias. We can memorize the Bible start to finish. And we're still not going to be smarter than God. Whenever we start inserting our own righteousness into things, we're saying that we are. God didn't tell us that we had to come up with anything. He just said, go. Down in verse 13 in Romans in chapter 10, for whomsoever, excuse me, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring tidings of good things. Do you think that only preachers can preach? All my life I got preached to. And so many times a person wasn't standing in a pulpit. I got preached to in school by men and women that loved God and were a good influence on each and every one of us. I got preached to at home by mom and dad that loved God. I got preached to by two sets of grandparents. I got preached to by strangers. I got preached to by my own self. When I get stuck in my own head. At any point in time, anyone can become a preacher. The Bible says here that how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. That go out and tell people of the gospel of peace. That bring the, the gospel which is translated meaning good news and bring tidings Excuse me, glad tidings 
of good things. The gospel isn't something that people should just hang their head about. It's not bad news. The gospel of Christ is something that the whole world should be excited about, but they don't know about it. How should they believe on whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? It's our job. Commission says in Acts and in Matthew that we are to go to preach and to teach. Matthew says to baptize. As a church, as a Christian, we are to be the ones that spread the gospel. If we don't, we're saying we're ashamed of God. And that's a bad situation to find ourselves in. You can recover from telling your wife you're ashamed over jewelry, chocolate, flowers, it all works. You can recover from telling your husband you're ashamed of them. Power tools always works. Guns, bullets, fishing lures, things that are shiny. You can tell a kid you're ashamed of them in 10 minutes, they'll forget. But you can't tell God you're ashamed of him. He don't forget. He don't deserve it. Whenever, and she, she won't tell nobody, sometimes my wife's ashamed of me. The way I dress, the way I look, the calyx that show up in my hair. And she don't have to tell me. <laughs> I know. We don't have to tell God, God, I'm ashamed of you. He knows by the way we act. He knows by the way we don't act. He knows by the, the way we talk, by the people that we avoid, by the opportunities that he gives us to be a witness that we choose to turn down. Here tonight, I want to challenge each and every one of us this week not to be ashamed of God. Not to be avoiding everybody and telling them that we're a Christian, but we should be telling everybody. Not only that, we should be showing everybody that we're a Christian. We have something the world don't have. And I hope all of us can overcome the, the challenge of being ashamed. That we wouldn't be ashamed that we could walk and talk and breathe Jesus' love each and every day. Oh, we'll have a verse for some.